thought it was either I go on to the bitter end mm-hmm. or I, you know, I, I can't, I can't keep going on again, head in hand. I can't do this for another 25 years. I didn't know that there was a door number three because I was scared. And part of that was Jordan is because I was scared to talk about it because there's such a stigma around alcohol and substance use disorder. Again, 12 to 15% of our colleagues at some point are going to meet criteria for this. We feel like we can't ask for help because we feel like we're going to be punished instead Mm -hmm. of being helped. That is Dr. Phil Richmond, a veterinarian with a passion for supporting colleagues through recovery and well-being efforts. And this is the Vin Foundation's Veterinary Pulse podcast. I'm Jordan Benshia, Vin Foundation's Executive Director. Join me as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories. Stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible by individuals like you who donate to the VIN Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. Hey y'all, a quick heads up that some of the content in today's episode may include triggers as it relates to alcohol and substance abuse disorder, childhood trauma, and suicidal ideations. As a reminder, the VIN Foundation's confidential support program, Vets for Vets, is here for you, and you can find more information to reach out in the episode notes. Please know you are not alone. Welcome, Phil. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate you having me today. We have been, you know, Phil, Phil's been an active person within the VIN Foundation for a while, and we've been chatting about a variety of things over the years. And it just seemed, as I usually tend to, um, beg people to come on the podcast and share their story. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought, come on, Phil, this would be a great story to share. And I'd love to share your story. And I think I think our audience and colleagues would be really interested and, and love to, you know, learn more about your story. So let's yeah. start with your journey. What was your journey like to veterinary medicine? Was there an aha moment or how did you mm. knew this know know that this was the profession for you? <laughs> right. So I I had a I had a circuitous route to uh Ooh, i love it okay medicine. those are the best so <laughs> yes yes and all and i promise everyone this will all tie together um <laughs> so i i uh was right i grew up in a small town called castleberry florida and so about the age of eight um my dad had a had a massive heart attack um and so why that's important two things one is that we're going to talk a little bit as we as we go on about childhood trauma and how that affects our brains how that affects uh you know um the risks that we have the risk factors that we have for certain certain conditions as we get older the other thing was is that it greatly affected my father's um you know ability to make money you know to work so you know from about the age of eight on we we struggled quite a bit um, financially. And so my mom, though, was a dog groomer. And she also worked for a couple of veterinary hospitals uh, in, in the Orlando area as a receptionist. So we had, you know, growing up, um, <laughs> we, we had ducks, uh, we had dogs, we had cats, uh, you know, so we, we had all kinds of animals and I just like m- many of us in veterinary medicine, very much going through some of the traumatic stuff. Um, you know, my dad, uh, was likely, um, by, had bipolar, um, bipolar, uh, disease and, um, you know, and also was, was an alcoholic and, you know, and he did the best, best that he could with the tools that, that he had, but that did cause you know, a lot of uh, more trauma as well. Why I'm saying that is that animals early on were one of those things that 
allowed me to find some solace, you know, as I just remember sitting, you know, sitting with my dogs and just, you know, petting them and, you know, and just really connecting with, with animals on a, on a real spiritual level, even as a, even as a youngster. So progress forward, um, you know, go going on through, through high school, um, up through, through college. So part of my journey is, is that, you know, to be to be a veterinarian, we have to have some. We have to be somewhat adept at sciences. Um, you know, we have to be pretty pretty decent students. And so, what was interesting is I was a good student. However, my coping mechanism from the time that I was about fifteen um, was alcohol. So, you know, any stressors, anxieties, anything along the, that that nature um, really was. Uh, you know, I used alcohol to treat, treat that. I just really sought out the times to, to drink. Um, because it, what I found out later is that it did something for me that I thought that it did for everyone, which it just that, you know, that screw right in my chest, you know, that anxiety that, you know, I don't fit in that I don't belong, I'm not good enough, you know, a couple drinks in and it would just unravel that, you know, and it would, it would make me feel like I was a part of and I, you know, at that age to have that tool um, was very powerful. And so that, that was the thing that I had in my back pocket, you know, all through high school, all through undergrad. And so what happened, so I went to University of Florida, I had a, had a scholarship, um, went to University of Florida my, my freshman year, and I thought I could just you know, show up for the tests kind of like I did in high school and still get A's and it doesn't same, work same. that way. Yeah. Yeah. Same, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I got, you know, I got in a fraternity, um, you know, it was like next level, um, drinking, you know, mm-hmm. as a, as an 18 year old without responsibilities. And so I lost my scholarship and so I ended up having to come back home. So came back home. Um, again, my parents, um, they, we got thank I'm grateful for the you know how I was raised, but financially we didn't have the the financial resources for me to mm-hmm. you know for them to pay for school. So they said, look, you're gonna have to get get a loan, get jobs and such. So I ended up I was you know I was doing personal training, I was doing all these, so I was working three three jobs and going to community college, and I was going to class, which was you know, and then I was like, oh. What shocker, like if you, you go to class and study, like you, they right. who knew? tell you what's on. Yeah. It's who knew that was going to be, you know, and did all the thing, you know, got on whatever the president's list and all the, you know, the wonderful accolades. And then at 20, my dad passed away in a massive stroke. I was working, I was a server at Olive Garden. You know, I always remember that, um, you know, and I got a call from my mom that he's in an ambulance and they're, they're taking him to the, mm. you know, the hospital. So at 20, I'm right in this period of time where I'm starting to realize that my dad has always cared about me and has tried to help me, you know, and some of the things, shockingly, some of the things that he's told me, oh my gosh, they were true, you know, is that it it was, yeah, right, shut, yeah, amazing. (laughs) And so that was, that was challenging. So 20 years old, my mom, you know, really took that took it hard. I mean, you know, that my dad, mm-hmm. dad passed away. I mean, as she should, I mean, not, right. but it, there was a rift that happened is that, you know, we both kind of separated for a little bit. Um, and so what did I have to fall back on was drinking, you know? And so I was, I was pretty much drinking every night. Um, you know, and, and I ended up taking, taking some time off of school, um, worked as a personal trainer <clears throat> for a while and then just realized, I, I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So I took about a year and a half, two years off of school and then went back to community college, took a course in psychology, um, you know, cause I thought maybe I had broken my brain and mm-hmm. did ended up doing well and, and went forward. So, um, and then just realized, okay, just need to go to school, do this. And then I, and I thought that I wanted to be an MD. Mm-hmm. And so I went home, I ended up getting, going to University of South Florida, did really well. Um, and I went home over break and I was like, oh, I know a little bit more. Like now I've got, you know, I'm leaning into biology and, you know, chemistry and, you know, and microbiology and these types of things. And so I went and worked for uh, one of the vets that my mom had worked for 
uh, you know, when I was growing up. And I went there over, it was like spring break or Thanksgiving break or something. I worked to, you know, to make some extra money. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. Like, cause that I, was had, your aha moment. I had wavered. Yeah. And I mean, I always mm-hmm. loved animals and always, but I, I, and now what I will say is that part of that was, is that I knew that I was a drinker. Like I knew that I was, so I was, you know, I, I knew what my personality was. And mm-hmm. I also didn't know if I was going to be able to be, not to diminish what it means to be a veterinarian, but like, I had this, like, I can't be this huffy, you know, physician, you know, type. and now, by the way, knowing physicians, I know that's not, <laughs> you know, it's not, not, not true, not true at all. But that was this, this thing that I had in my head. So part of it mm-hmm. was, but it was like, I wanted to do everything. You know, I loved right. surgery. I loved cardiology. I loved ophthalmology. Um, you know, I just loved everything. And I, I realized that I would have to, if, if I sort of wanted to do that in human medicine, I had to be a trauma surgeon is what mm-hmm. I thought in my head. And I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, that's, that's sounds like a lot. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ended up switching gears and, and leaned into switched, started the, the pre-vet society back up at university of Florida, did all the things that, you know, a lot of us that are a type personalities do. So I, I have no idea then, what you're talking about at all. Yeah. Right. Like, none, right. None. All yeah. the, uh, yeah, we, we talk uh, in the uncharted community about red dots. Um, you know, it's like, tum, 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 you know, and so <laughs> that's, that's, I, I am, I'm part of that. So that's, that's when, um, you know, I ended up uh, going, going to university of Florida um, and uh, started in 2002. I graduated in 06. And, you know, the thing was, is again, I did, I did well in vet school, but mm-hmm. I you know, I continued, continued to drink, um, you know, and I started having some consequences and I, you know, and I'll share this with everyone is that, you know, I, three months before I graduated, I got a DUI on campus at university of Florida and they were going to kick me out of school with, with three months left to graduate. And I had to go to my professors hat in hand as though I was asking for a residency and ask right. them to write me letters of recommendation to keep me in school. I say that because it's the power of this disease of, of alcohol. You have mm-hmm. alcohol use disorder. I don't want to really say alcoholism. So the term is alcohol use disorder, or substance use mm-hmm. disorder. Is that it's powerful enough that from the outside, someone would say, how could you ever pick up a drink again? knowing that those are the consequences. And that's actually one of the definitions of alcohol use disorders in the face of growing consequences that we continue to use or drink. And so I kept, kept drinking, um, you know, and, and because again, it was the only tool in the toolbox. So I get out, I'm in practice. Um, and I, don't don't drink for about six months and uh, six months in you know it's just the the rigors of being a new grad um you know and i'm working uh, i'm working 80 hours a week that was not my job that did that um Mm -hmm. you know they my my first boss was basically telling me to throttle down he's like you know this is before Mm -hmm. burnout was really you know, 15, 16 years ago. I mean, people knew about it. I don't want to say that, but um, he was like, you know, I was coming in on my days off to do surgery. I was doing, I was working at the emergency clinic. I was picking up shifts on my days off and he's like, you got to slow down, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what happened was, is that I just kept working and working and working. I didn't have any tools. And Mm -hmm. I remember sitting on my couch just exhale and I had my head in my hands and I'm like, I can't do this for 20, 30 more years. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, I just started. And so I got, I was in a really, really dark place. And again, only tool I have is, is booze and mm-hmm. substances. And so right. I, and this I is six months out of graduating, right? This is, so there's a period. So it start started mm-hmm. about six months mm-hmm. out, about a year, year of this. Um, mm-hmm. to where then I was, I was suicidal. Um, you know, I, I was just, every day was a struggle for me to, to just get through the day. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I was, I was visually affected at work. 
Um, because again, I was just, I was, I was, I had so much wrapped into me being a veterinarian was, was who I was as a person. And what's interesting is that that's, they, you know, they will tell you is that for medical professionals, if we see a change in a medical professional that is around alcohol or substance use, like we are, we are really close to the, the end, end part of the disease because that's the last thing to go, you know, is that relationships are affected, mm-hmm. um, you know, all, all the things, you know, are affected by that. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to pause here because sometimes when we hear this story, people will say, well, God, that's just, that's it. It pulls at my heartstrings or it's just, you know, or questioning how, how could you get that far? Or, you know, some of these questions that come up. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I want to bring up, and this is why I said with childhood trauma, mm-hmm. is that when we talk about adverse childhood experiences, when we talk about the, the ACEs scores, so there's a, a list of 10, 10 experiences. And you answer yes or no to these, you know, uh, along the lines of, you know, before, before your 18th birthday, you know, were you ever physically abused? Um, were you ever verbally abused? Were you mm-hmm. sexually abused? Did you have a parent who had a mental illness? Did you have a parent who, is a, who had an alcohol or substance use disorder? Did you see violence in your home? Um, did you sometimes not have enough to eat because of, you know, financial pressures or things like that? There's 10 of these questions. And if you answer yes to four or more of those, or, or you know four actually, if you answer mm-hmm. yes to four, risk of alcohol use disorder is seven times higher than someone who has zero. Substance use disorder, seven to 10 times. ADHD, seven times. Depression, six times. Anxiety, seven times. All of these things happen, and when we when we see what happens physiologically to the mm-hmm. human brain when we're when we're children, when all that cortisol and the, the adrenaline or the epinephrine and all the stress hormones hit, the effect that it has on our developing brain is is amazing. And the reason why I say this is when we see people that are going through that, is perhaps we can begin to look at people through a different lens. And instead mm-hmm. of asking, you know, and Oprah uh, recently released a book, um, Gabor Mate talks about this, is instead of saying, what's wrong with you, mm-hmm. is ask what happened to you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to mm-hmm. say that something, something beyond your control very likely played a part in making this happen. Mm-hmm. And I say that, and it's not a, it's by no means an excuse or anything of that nature, but if we think about as veterinary professionals, if we had something, if we knew something was going to increase the risk of disease in our patients seven to 10 times, and then by the way, suicidal ideation, if I remember the, the number is, I have to look it up, I have it in some of my talks, but I think it's tw- you're 28 times more likely um, to attempt taking your own life. Um, you know, and pseudo- suicidal ideation goes up. So it's part of this that, we talk about suicidal ideation. We talk about the, the issues in, in veterinary medicine, and we're just now beginning to talk about this. You know, is that can we can we share this? And what I can tell you anecdotally, and we can kind of slide into some of the other other things we were going to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that probably ninety to a hundred percent. So I've been in recovery for fifteen years now and i've been very grateful to work with a a lot of medical professionals in early recovery and i would Mm -hmm. tell you without without fail um every single one of those people had things that happened to them when they were children and every one of them had suicidal ideations Mm -hmm. and so you know it's it's saying wow like that's and it doesn't you know intelligence doesn't doesn't have an effect on this. Um, there certainly are protective factors, but that gets into, we talk about mental illness, we talk about mental fitness and mental health, and we mm-hmm. talk about the concern of suicide in the profession, but we don't talk about 12 to 15% of medical professionals at some point in their career are gonna meet criteria for an alcohol or substance use disorder because we don't ask for help and we, we tend to self-medicate. And the other thing is, is that 50 to 60% of 
people who choose to end their own life, there's alcohol or substances involved. Now, it doesn't mm-hmm. always mean that they have a use disorder, but it's it's part of the it's a it's a big risk factor for that. And so I hope, you know, in the profession that we can look look at this through a different lens, through a lens of caring and again of what happened to you and how can we help mm-hmm. versus what's wrong with you, you're weak, like why would you right. why would you do those things? Yeah. And that leads into some of our some of our other topics of how <laughs> Yeah. You did a great job there. You covered like six questions in one answer. Yeah, there we are. But, <laughs> but gosh, you've touched on so much here, Phil, and I really appreciate your yeah. just your courage and you're willing to be vulnerable because I think that's really how we can connect, you know, and learn from each yeah. other. And there's a quote, one of my favorite quotes, which has been attributed to Plato, but who really knows, um, which is, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And 100%. And it's so, you know, it is, you just never know who you come across in life, you know, specifically with this audience, veterinary colleagues, that we just have no idea what they're going through, right? And anything Mm -hmm. from like honking at somebody at a stop sign to, um, you know, to how how colleagues are treated and how they treat each other um, and how they're treated from clients and staff and and again with each other, it just... Mm -hmm be kind and just just yeah. presume or hope that everybody's really doing the best that they can, right? Yeah. Can we as- and... assume assume good intent? Can mm-hmm. we make, make exactly. the, I like the make the charitable assumption, you know, is mm-hmm. that if someone does this, is there is there a way that we can frame that that isn't that right. that person is evil or that person is weak or that person is something something else, which is challenging for us, you know, in this mm-hmm. this environment. And I do want to say I did talk about some very heavy stuff, and we we mm-hmm. needed to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But because I'm here, you know, we always say <laughs> so. We say in twelve step recovery when we share a story. The beautiful thing is, is the story has a happy ending because right. I'm up here telling this story. Right. And so that's the other thing is that I was given. So, um, so two, 2008, August 11th mm-hmm. of 2008. So my, my colleagues, re- and so let me say this, cause this is also okay. my colleagues recognized what was going on with me. Mm. One of my, oh, and I always get goosebumps when I tell this. So one, they wanted the best for me. One thing mm-hmm. is, is that if it wasn't for our head technician, Alex Soto, and I always like to, to talk about her is that she's one of the main reasons why I'm still here. You know, veterinary professionals are the reason why I'm still here. Second is one of the veterinarians that I worked with, worked with me when I was a student at um, Mill Hopper Veterinary Medical Center in Gainesville. And she mm-hmm. was the former president or, or chair of the Florida Board of Veterinary Medicine. Why is that important? Because she knew the resources that were available Mm-hmm. to get me the help that I needed because mm-hmm. it's just like, just like any other disease is that get like to protect, you know, to, to allow me to continue to be a veterinarian, but I was able mm-hmm. to go to treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they, they were able to get me into treatment. And so I was in treatment for, for three months. So for 90 days and in that is where I had the awakening you know, is where mm-hmm. I was given tools where I, I didn't know, I thought it was either I go on to the bitter end mm-hmm. or I, you know, I, I can't, I can't keep going on again, head in hand. I can't do this for another 25 years. I didn't know that there was a door number three because I was scared. And part of that was Jordan is because I was scared to talk about it because there's such a stigma around alcohol and substance use disorder. Again, 12 to 15% of our colleagues at some point are gonna meet criteria for this. We feel like we can't ask for help because we feel like we're gonna be punished instead Mm -hmm. of being helped. And it's Mm -hmm. like, can we look upon this? I mean, stigma in in veterinary medicine is certainly decreasing, but this is one area where there's still a huge amount of stigma and a huge amount of misunderstanding and misinterpretation, Um, you know, and so, when I went to treatment, I got into 12-step recovery. I learned a lot of the skills of resiliency and they helped save my life, you know, and they also allowed me, the biggest thing, Jordan, they allowed me to love veterinary medicine again, is that I saw the part that I was playing 
you know, and how I was perceiving things. And I was, I was given tools to reframe that, say, Hey, mm-hmm. maybe that's, you know, may, maybe that's not true. And that right. understanding the power of those thoughts is that when I roll with that, my brain can't tell the difference whether that's real or not. And I'm going to, I'm going to experience those emotions as though they're real and that mm-hmm. that's going to affect the people around me as well. And so it was just, you know, I learned a lot of, you know, powerful evidence-based tools, um, you know, which then led to part of the question was how did I get into the well-being space? You know, right. Well, how do we so, were going to get yeah. into, how did you get into the well-being? And so I yeah. think that you were, so August 11th, 2008, 2008. is when, yep. is it's when my you. That's when I went into treatment. Yeah. Okay. It <laughs> It was a, it's amazing how things happen in yeah. our life and we just remember exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, so what is your current job in veterinary medicine today? Wow. So my current job is that I'm the chief uh, medical and well-being officer for a group in Michigan called Veterinary United. Um, so I, I get to help coach and advocate for our doctors and, and technicians um, also, mm-hmm. you know, doing doing some of the the you know the nuts and bolts stuff of of you know initiatives and policies and um, you know and uh, you know anesthesia protocols and monitoring equipment and that type of thing. But the other thing that I get to do is that you know we just rewrote our our whole alcohol and substance misuse policy. Um, mm. You know, with evidence based language, when when the language is very strong, what that says to me when I come in is that if I do any of these things, I'm fired. Right. And that there's no, that there, that, that I know this is, and I can't ask for help because if I ask for help, I'm going to lose my job. And the same thing. So to go along with this, the same thing is true on medical licensing applications. The AMA on the American Medical Association and the Mayo Clinic found out in 2017 that states that had language around mental illness and alcohol and substance use, those physicians were 40% less likely to seek mental health treatment solely because of what was on the licensing application, that that was a factor. So we know that that, because it puts out when we talk about psychological safety and how safe do I feel, I know what that means on that licensing application. I know Mm -hmm. that those questions mean that if I do those things, I don't get to practice. Mm Mm-hmm. So we stay quiet and we suffer Mm -hmm. until we can't, until we we no longer can handle it anymore. And then that's why these things, you know, how could it get to that point? Because there was no door number. I didn't think there was a door number three. At no point did I consider asking for help, which is scary and horrible. And like, how could we, in this caring profession that, that that we hold these things in out of fear of repercussions for a mental illness? Yeah. So, so I think that's, you know, you've brought up a couple different things and one, yeah, I, I, I am such a big believer in clear communication and mm-hmm. those that know me, hear me say this all the time. I think it has, you know, miscommunication, even the smallest amounts can do everything from in relationships Absolutely. to start, start wars. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Absolutely. And just, you talked about uh, shifting the question from not what's wrong with you to what's happened with you. Right. Those yes. are. Yes two to three words difference, fundamental. right? Yep. Right. And it's a huge fundamental difference. And to your point now about the language, right. In reporting and, and being able to ask for help versus the language, making it seem, okay, no matter what I'm getting fired. Right. right. Again, that's minimal amounts of communication messaging, which when shifted have huge, huge impacts. You said 40%, right. That's a huge mm-hmm. number, right? Huge number. Yeah. And it's so important when we think about how we communicate verbally, virtually, digitally, especially mm-hmm. in this age, to understand the weight of our words, the weight of the messaging, yeah. the weight of the communication that we are getting across, and yeah. the potential impact that it has, positive and negative. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so now you're in this space, <laughs> this, this, right. this space that so- you're in. Right. So, so, and then to back, cause the, the initial question was how, how in the hell did I get, how did a veterinarian. <laughs> well, it really was your journey, right? Like what was your journey right, of veterinary right, medicine, right. So, which yeah. has been part of this. Yeah. Yeah. 
so what had happened, so I was in, so, and so I'm in recovery, you know, I'm going to 12 step meetings. I'm doing these things. My life is just, um, you know, I, we say this term in recovery and it seems trite or just over the top, even though is living a life beyond our wildest dreams. And what I would say is that I was given the tools to be things that I, when, before I got into recovery, I didn't think I could be, I did not think I could be a good partner. And here I was, you know, a husband, um, you know, and I was scared. I was scared to death that my wife, my fiance at the time, she's my wife now, we've been together for, you know, quite, quite a long time. So 16 Congratulations. years. Um, thank you. But I was scared she was going to get pregnant. And the reason why is because I knew that I couldn't stop drinking, mm-hmm. you know, and, use, and I just, and I was like, how I'm going to be my father. And I knew what, and by then I knew, you know, I knew I was going down that road, Mm -hmm. but I was able to do those things. And I was able to try to make decisions where I didn't, I, I mean, I'm a human being and I I can react, but I was given tools though, that I could look when someone was reacting that way to me is that that's, well, we can't see it, but I've got a sign in my office. It's the old, uh, you know, if you watch Ted Lasso, um, (laughs) you know, he quoted Walt Whitman, which is be curious, not judgmental. I can see that. that, Can I ask? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. is can I can I ask what's going you know the same like we just said is what's what's happened with you why mm-hmm. what's going on that is creating a this threat mode in you but so I was in in recovery for ten years and then I I realized that no one I don't want to say no one because that's not true um, but mm-hmm. that there was there was a need for a discussion around alcohol and substance use disorder on top of the issues with suicide and mental illness is mm-hmm. that it's all, you know, it's all part of it. And I told my wife maybe six, seven years ago, I said, I'm, I'm going to have to break, you know, and in, in recovery, we try to stay anonymous, um, you know, with our recovery, which there are pros and cons to that. I would say one of the right, cons is, right. is that we see the media will see the bad things, but we don't see the people getting better, um, you mm-hmm. know, and helping other people and, and building and, and recovering. And so, I said, well, I, I said, I can't, I, 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 I feel like I need to be part of this moving forward for the profession. Yeah. And so I got with the, I was always active in the FVMA. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, I was like, hey, you know, they, they had a call for action for the chair of the outreach committee, which was basically the veterinarian who goes around and talks to other veterinarians who are having a use disorder. I'm like, that sounds like that's right up my alley. And so I did that for about six months. Then I said, do we have a well-being committee? And they were like, <laughs> no, but we'd love for you to, we'd love for you to, to chair it. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, you know, again, red dot, red dot folks, like that's all you got to say. And so it's like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then the imposter syndrome kicks in. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just a veterinarian who went to AA or went to 12 step recovery meetings. While I knew all those things worked. Right. What am I? So, and that really hit me when I, I gave my first presentation to the FBMA's executive board. So the Dean of the vet school, mm-hmm. all the president of the FBMA, all the, the so Dr. RC was, the, uh, you know, back uh, Dr. Jose RC was the president of the ABMA, but the, um, the, so two of the two of the this is back a number of years ago AVMA candidates for president the a, mm-hmm. the current AVMA president Dr. Jean was there like and I'm like and I have to get up and present and I'm like and that's when it was like I'm just this you know and and having the negative self talk and all that so I ended up though going down the road of hey well let me lean into like I love learning stuff so I started getting and I knew that I I didn't have. I wasn't going to be able to do a master's because of how much I was working, but I ended up taking these really robust like certifications and things in um, because I knew that I didn't necessarily want to do the research, which is why I became mm-hmm. a veterinarian. Like I knew I was going to be the person in the lab, but I was going to be able to go out and, and try to help, you know, help my colleagues. So that started this thing. And, you know, we, we, I jokingly tell my wife, like I do certifications, like I used to drink, um, so, you know, I just, I just learn as much, <laughs> right. you know, as much as I can. And so I have been able to, and then been able to work with some of the, the you know, biggest and brightest and, 
you know, best people not only in the U.S., but, you know, in the world working in workplace well-being, um, you know, and, and, and resiliency and, and these types of mm-hmm. things. And so I'm just really grateful to be able to be, be part of that movement in veterinary medicine. Well, and I think that there's huge value irrelevant to what the exact degree is and without devaluing those there's huge value in your firsthand experience. Mm. I agree is that it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a combination. It's uh, you know, multi, I forget in human medicine, what the, but uh, the, the not continuum of care, but there are different roles that are important in the healing of, of someone. Mm -hmm. And so, you Mm -hmm. know, like my role is not, is not to sit down while I can be an advocate to discuss childhood trauma. I'm, I'm not a mental health professional. Like I'm not mm-hmm. going to, I'm not going to sit down and work through those things on a clinical level with someone. Right. right. However, what what I do have is, you know, is an educated, um, you know, a peer peer. I don't want to say specialist, but like a you know someone someone who is a peer that know I know what what it's like to walk through that, and also know that what my path was isn't necessarily what your path is going to be, but that I mm-hmm. I can. I can direct to some of the, you know, to the other resources, but that also where, where that comes in is how does, how does it work? Not so much on a one-on-one healing perspective, Mm -hmm. but how do we change the workplace? Like that's, that's the next level is that we're, we're very focused too on, on the individual and which is very important, you know, which is part of it. Um, but we do have to work on, you know, individual resilience and well-being. We have to work on, on that on a team level. We absolutely have to say, what are we doing as organizations, you know, mm-hmm. national organizations, workplaces? What are we doing to facilitate, um, you know, workplaces that that improve? Not just, not that we just don't leave sicker than we came in, but how do we mm-hmm. create a workplace where where we leave and we're in a better psychological condition than than we arrived in? That's right. the goal. That's right. the goal. And that's, yeah. and that's definitely not what, what you hear on a regular basis currently. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think there's huge value in the combination of a mental health professional and also colleagues that can provide that peer support because it allows mm-hmm. you to feel, um, it allows you to feel really heard with your individual situation from a veterinary perspective professional perspective, which mm-hmm. sometimes the mental health, pers- mental health specialists are really, or professionals are really able to help you with areas that are vitally important as, mm-hmm. as well with that additional support from the peer support yeah. is also vitally important along with yeah. that, right? That yeah. sort of tag team approach can be so, so yeah. helpful. And, and it, you know, the found the Vin foundations vets for vets group um, and program we, I just hear from so many colleagues that just having somebody that they can talk to mm-hmm. that understands the day in and yeah. day out pressures specifically of the veterinary profession, along with, you know, mental health, professional help outside. Yeah. Um, but that that really offers a lot of value to sort of have that safe space of community where yeah. you can share and talk and be safe, you know? Absolutely. And that was my experience in recovery. Mm-hmm. Is that it was vital to have medical, prof- you know, to have mental health professionals, to have mental, uh, you know, medical professionals as well, right. but that to also have that group, mm-hmm. you know, that social network, that place to right. feel safe where I could connect and that people weren't, you know, and that, that's the wonderful thing about a real strong recovery group is not, is not going to say here, you need to do this or you need to do that. Like it's right. going to say, I did, tr- you know. I understand where you're at, you know, and that this is, you know, and, and that we recommend like bringing all of these things in together holistically, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to get better. And so that's, that's what I'm really, what I, I love seeing is that integrative, you know, approach. Right. And, and again, that's where I, you know, just seeing it in, in 12 step recovery and then seeing it in the veterinary community is, is having us as, I mean, we're all caring, caring individuals, right. but it's like, we caring isn't always enough and we do need, you know, and we have to have experts and, you know, in, in treatment that, like you said, is that sometimes we need to have people who understand what it's like, you know, when you drop a pedicle and a dog bleeds and you question whether 
you're doing the right thing, you know, or a medical mistake yeah. happens and, right. you know, and, and, or, or whatever this in the, whatever the situation is, is that, you know, we, we've walked through that, you know, and we can be there shoulder to shoulder next to somebody as they're walking through that. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that's very important. And I think there's huge value in that. And, you know, I really appreciate you being again, willing to share your story and, and I think the more that people are that trick of wanting to be confidential at the same time, there is huge value in people sharing stories because that's the only way mm -hmm. that others can know they're not alone. Right. Right. And again, it's, the numbers tell us 12, 12 mm -hmm. to 15%, like knowing, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right. knowing all the people that I know, you know, in recovery. And that was, that was a huge thing for me when I, when I first got into recovery, mm -hmm. you know, I found out all these like, professors, uh, you know, right. like people and all these people that I had no idea. I mean, my first sponsor was a was a veterinary internist. Like I had mm -hmm. no, I, no and I, I didn't go, yeah. I didn't necessarily, I didn't pick, I mean, I, yeah. I didn't go out trying to find him. Right but there, he, you know, and it was just mm -hmm. like, but that, that connection to have those two things, the veterinary medicine part and the recovery part together and not feel, mm -hmm. and to not feel shame, you know, mm -hmm. to not feel gut level being judged. Mm -hmm. That was, that was really, you know, really important. And so that too is why our, you know, we say our, our Sunday night vets and recovery meeting um, that we have for the vets, from the vets for vets program is so powerful because it's a space where, you know, we can all share and it's, and it's more about the, the things it's about, you know, mm -hmm. we talk about the same things. I think that, uh, you know, most veterinarians do, but we have, we have a set of tools and we have a set of support and we, you know, when we say, you know, to our, Hey, you know, have you taught, you know, have, have you talked to this person? Have you talked to your therapist? Have you done, you know, these mm -hmm. things where we want everybody to get, get better together. Um, and it's just such a, such a wonderfully supportive group. So, so I think we should probably pitch, tell our audience pitch to that. Yeah, we yes. should probably tell our audience that <laughs> Rich yeah. does help run the VIN Foundation Vets for Vets Vets in Recovery group. There is a Vets in Recovery group as well as a new group that we just created based out of colleagues' requests, which is Veterinary Professionals in Recovery. They're confidential. Mm -hmm. We'll put links in the episode notes. Um, and so that's the group that he's that Phil's referring to. Um, and mm -hmm. I and I also want to for a moment go back to when you were talking about how when you first started drinking, what you realize is that it almost unscrewed that part of you where you were concerned yeah. about not belonging and that you yeah. didn't fit in. Because I think, right. you know, Brene Brown wrote a book about belonging and oh, she yeah. speaks about it in yeah. many of her books, but just at the core of all of who we are, it's this feeling of wanting to belong, right? Wanting to belong, and, feeling like we matter. Mm -hmm, yeah, exactly. Those two, two things so powerful. Yeah. So powerful. And that combined with individual ACE scores and childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. I mean, those could be multiple podcast episodes in and of themselves. Yeah. Um, and all those things play such a role. And when you talk about how alcohol was your coping me mechanism, because you didn't know others, right? And as a child, yeah. and as you grow up, all of us are, are, trying to figure things out and they, we come to it with the tools that we have, right? Yeah. And what other way can we learn those except finding them along our path in one way or another, right? right? And and I think that's just so important. So I want to take a moment to acknowledge that because I think that that's, that's so vitally important because we all have our own coping mechanisms that are positive yeah. and negative, right? And hopefully we're continuing to learn how to improve those, right? And yeah. how to become better people and getting to know ourselves more and more. And a lot of that means looking at what was our childhood like, right? What were the tools yeah. I was taught? Are those tools serving me? Um, yeah. And so that's vitally important. I just want to take a moment to recognize that. Um, okay, so what are the tools that are around now for colleagues that you think are really helpful? Yeah. So what I would say, there, there are a number of groups that, that have come up. Like there, obviously there's, <laughs> there's the vets for vets groups that there are multiple different, different groups that, you know, have, have online meetings and an online presence. Mm -hmm. The, there is um, the veterinary hope foundation. Um, so mm -hmm. that's and they're facilitated groups of veterinarians. 
Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's where a lot of the power is, is hearing stories and say, oh, I know you felt like that. Like I felt like that, you know, right. and, and that it val it validates these and that I'm not, you know, that I'm open sharing mm -hmm. without the sense of, you know, am I going to be judged for this or am I going to be right. this? And that it's, and that it's put in a way, you know, in, in recovery, we have, when we're in these, these recovery meetings, most of us have a, a basis of some of these tools to reframe um, mm -hmm. and look at things from a different angle. And, you know, and the more, more I, you know, over the past, you know, six, seven years, it's, it's very similar to cognitive behavioral coaching, you know, is this, this reframing mm -hmm. process that we learn in recovery. And it's a very powerful tool, but to, to use that in there. And so it's, it's different than some of the th very different from some of the things that we see in social media, where it's, co-rumination where it's just unloading and it's and it's just it's this you know this it's just a negative you know a negative energy space that creates this emotional contagion um you know that, that gives us this release to to blame 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 and so not mm -hmm. to say that there aren't things that we have to look at but also saying is that you know one of the biggest things that i learned in recovery is what part did i play you know, what part am I playing in this? And so what I would say is this too, is that I can take that ACEs test and it helps me explain a lot. However, if I don't do the things, if I'm not talking to my therapist, if I'm not doing some of the work to try to try to heal that, then I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that. Awareness is the first, you know, the first mm -hmm. step, you know, but I have to, I have to be able to go Am I willing to do do the work? Like, am I am I willing to you know to do what I need to do to to get better? And so for me, like, I literally had to get to the point where I didn't have another direction. Right. Like, I just I didn't have any fight left in me, and it was like, okay, yeah, like I'll do I'll you know begrudgingly, even though I'm you know I'm at this point in my life, begrudgingly I will do these things, mm -hmm. and they changed my life. And so wow. it's like, can we? Can we, can we lift the, you know, lift the bar a little bit so that we're not having to be bludgeoned, you know, with, with some of these, these negative self-talk and like some of the things that we do and, and can we lean into these tools of self-compassion? Can we lean into these, you know, these tools of reframing? Can we lean into empathy? Um, you know, can we lean into some of these things? And right. that's where. And, and they would also say too, is that that then allows us to increase our love for veterinary medicine is that when I'm able to see, to be curious, not judgmental, and it's challenging sometimes, but when I'm able to do yeah. that with a client, it changes the whole dynamic. And instead of me walking out of that exam room and going, oh, Mrs. Jones, what a PO, you know, and then spreading mm -hmm. that to everyone. I've given her some space to understand there's something going on with her. I'm not saying what's wrong with you, what happened to you. And we're able to process through some of those things. She's able to see that she might have misjudged something that I said or what have you. We work through it. And then I go out and then she's, she's in a different space where she felt heard. She feels like she matters. Right. The pet gets the, gets the treatment that it needs. I go out and get to, get to share that as a win you know, with my team. And it's a fundamentally different effect on the culture of that practice that's a fundamentally right. different effect yeah. than if i came out and i and i just reacted which is our normal response you know mm -hmm. the negativity mm -hmm. bias the threat all of that and, and i can take take a pause and try to reframe that it just it's a very powerful thing and so those are all the things that i you know i hope and i wish right. and i want for our profession because this is a beautiful profession like it really yeah. it can be the things that we imagine it was when we were kids to a degree to a degree you know but the the opportunity to be of service and the opportunity to give back and and a lot of these opportunities are afforded in a way that's not in any other profession and we all have i mean every if, I, if, if we were sitting here talking about accounting i'm sure there are things that we could bitch about you know <laughs> and like it, but it's that you know like everything's got its stuff i mean yes mm -hmm. veterinary medicine has its challenges we have things but if we're if we're only looking at the negative and we're not looking at the 
the things that veterinary off, veterinary medicine offers us, we're doing it an injustice, a true mm-hmm. injustice to not, if we're, and, and if we are evidence-based clinicians, if we are evidence-based, we, if we are to go through our day and genuinely look at all the good things that happened mm-hmm. versus the, the quote unquote bad things that happened, if we tally that up, I know because we did it, mm-hmm. you know, at our, at our old hospital, you're right. going to get a ten, like a 10 to one ratio of clients that said, thank you. Clients mm-hmm. that were like, thank you so much. Or, Hey, I just, I'm very glad this happened. Or, you know, I did this thing that was really cool. And what happens is attention, you know, where we choose to put our attention is what grows. And right. so when we do have that negativity bias and I'm squirreling a little bit, but that it serves us is that negativity yeah. bias kept us alive. It's an ev- evolutionary adaptation. You know, if I'm back, you know, trying to hunt for woolly mammoth and I'm not looking for the saber tooth tiger, I, I'm not going to make it. However, the ones that were always, you know, head on a swivel, like freaking out, looking for, guess whose genes we inherited, <laughs> you know, <Right>. like, <laughs> thanks a lot, Charles Darwin, you know, it's, but, but the thing is, is that we have to know that that some of those things, they don't serve us as well. And you mentioned that, like, does this thought serve me? And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a powerful question to ask. And so again, it's the world is the world. And, you know, and I, I used to think too, like, you know, if we talk about not to go into, you know, politics and the news and those types of things, but if I wa- if I look at those things, like, is it going to change what I'm going to do when I walk into the vet hospital? And I'm not, I'm not saying that we put our head in the sand, but I'm saying that can I, if there are positive things that I know that I can do to affect change, I'm going to do those things. Mm-hmm. But that if I'm sitting and I'm more, you know, if I'm worrying and I'm doing these things, I'm not able to, and then I'm, I'm of no use to anybody. Then I just go mm-hmm. down the, you know, the rabbit hole. The so rabbit hole. Got a right. little, got a little, got a little soapboxy. No, I think, there, I but, think the soapboxy yeah. though is perfect because clearly there's way more than one episode here. And so I think yeah. that we're definitely going to be having you back for additional episodes <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah. And we're getting kind of close to, we like to try to keep these under oh, an hour yeah. because just yeah. for people's attention span. Um, yeah. But I, you know, if I, I just have a couple other questions. And one is there, there's sure. so much here and I really want to dive deeper. And I think that I think we could have a whole other discussion about workplace safety um, and mm-hmm. not safety, like physical safety, but, you know, no, like emotional, mental safety. We, right? So what we let, uh, well, I, 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 I haven't come up with a lot of things on my, my own, but I, maybe somebody has probably said this, but I, I think of like OSHA for our brains. You know, mm-hmm. is that we we wear, yeah. you know, I'm grateful to be with a group that's working on some psychological health and safety standards, like some amazing mm-hmm. people working mm-hmm. on psychological health and safety standards for veterinary practices in the US. But we wear lead shields. You know, we wear lead when we take radiographs to protect us from ionizing radiation. Mm-hmm. Why why aren't when we have an angry client or when we have things that we know going in? are going to increase our risk of psychological harm. When we talk about conflict, when we talk about that lack of mattering, when we talk about these things, when we talk about not getting reward and recognition, when we talk about trying to see, you know, 50 patients in a day, like these external things that get put on Mm -hmm. us, why can we not be, we need to be proactive knowing that those things are going to have a detrimental effect on our brains. Just like if I walk in and take x-rays and I don't have lead on, that's going to, that's going to, build up over time and it's going to cause a problem. And the same damn thing is true for these, these psychological, these psych, call them psychosocial factors or psychosocial hazards that happen mm-hmm. in veterinary hospitals. And so how do we, how do we proactively create a system or a hospital or a workplace that proactively prevents those and not only prevents harm, but again, promotes flourishing. How do we, how do we make a place where, let me say that one of the best compliments I ever got as a leader is the hospital that I used to work at. Um, the team would say, we come here to get away from the world. Like the team said, and we yeah. meant it. Like we came yeah. to work and the work was our oasis. Like mm-hmm. what a beautiful, I mean, I just, oh, I love, I mean, just right. loved, missed the, if, if they're listening, God bless them. I love them. So I mean, we still get to talk and everything. And they're just wonderful, wonderful, beautiful human beings. But that, that was true. Like we laughed and we, you know, we had Mm -hmm. Nerf gun fights and we just, 
but we did it. We did a great job. You know, it was very much like right. Scrubs, uh, the show Scrubs. I, I mean, you know, it's like same, I always same. wanted it to be like, yeah, yeah. Um, but those are the things is how how can we both protect mm-hmm. our our professionals from psychological injury, but mm-hmm. also promote an environment that makes us want to come to work. And that can be done. That absolutely can be done. We just have to be intentional about it. And we have to, you know, we have to be foundationally and measure, measure these things. We have to measure what's going on with our people because otherwise it's just us being, you know, veterinary professionals walking into a room and looking, looking over and go, oh, well, um, yeah, probably got liver disease. So we're going to, no, we run tests, right. you know, we run mm-hmm. diagnosis, you know, we're, we're measuring these things. So mm-hmm. that's one of the things too. Like, are we doing that on a regular basis? Um, so anyhow, another, another, well, episode. so that, I mean, that's a trailer, <laughs> that's a trailer for our next episode, pretty right, much. Right. <laughs> well, and the hope being is that the, the things that you do in the workplace within, like when you say that your colleagues would come there and it would be like the oasis away from everything else, hopefully what's also happening is that the benefits of what's happening in work is impacting the other happens out life. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yep. And so that yep. was one of the wonderful things too, is like they would come in and go, you know, or I, I remember one of my one of my technicians. She would say, she'd be like, "Dr. Richmond, we did." You know, my husband said this thing, and she's like, "And I thought about it, and I was like, maybe I'm not to." You know, and there she's you like, go. We, and and it was just, and and you're right. Like that's it. It has this. You know, um, uh, Sean Aker talks about that ripple effect. Mm-hmm. You know that happens. It's like it starts here, but those ripples, and then even even something like the butterfly flapping its wings is that that right. those team members leave that hospital. They go to, you know, we have Publix down here in Flint, you know, they go to Publix and they smile at the the cashier, you know, mm-hmm. who's because they're in a good mood. And it's right. again, that emotional contagion, the negative yep. stuff spreads like wildfire, but damn it, the positive stuff does too. And Absolutely. so we can have, you know, we can have that positive impact just because, because we created a wonderful veterinary workplace, it mm-hmm. spreads out and then it's, and whoa, and then, then I get, then I start getting goosebumps again. Like that's the... That's, you know, can yeah. can we can we create that that environment too? So I can tell because I'm getting I start I start. <laughs> That's our next episode. And, and we're, we're gonna... in. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> That'll That's definitely be our next about. episode. Yep. Okay, so yeah, yeah. one last question for you, which yes, I kind yes, of like to sure. ask our guests, which are: Do you have a secret talent or something you enjoy doing that others might not know about? So, yeah, you know, I have to say yes. So this is, uh, I recently- We get the most random answers, so I can't yeah, wait to hear this. So this is something, so I was I was a jock like in high school and like did competitive powerlifting and all this. And that sadly kept me away from playing Dungeons and Dragons, like in high school and D&D. all that. Like I just, there you go. And, I'm, and I just started, I just started playing it like six months ago. And it's, it's so, and I play, I, I, I know these people and I don't, it's not even like, but I, I play with like some of the, like the, you know, the, the vet famous, you know, peeps, like, oh, it's there's, just funny. there's vet we're famous all in D&D people. Oh, ho, totes, totes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And it's just beautiful and wonderful. And it's like, right. And it's meditative and like, we're in this thing and it's, and it's just that we get, oh, it's just, it's, it's fantastic. But that's and I'm another like, point of connection. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's and on a different level and it's just, again, it's just beautiful and it's a way for us to, to connect and then be there. And then again, is is we have to lean into the positive stuff and it's not all about, oh, just be positive. If we're trying to be happy all the time, that's pathologic. However, mm-hmm. we can, we, we do need to lean into and try to be intentional about inducing positive emotions because mm-hmm. they do act like they can act like a suit of armor for us when some of the things other things yeah. happen um you know and those the hormones that are released and the experience that we have it's not it's not just oh just feel good good vibes it's it's really you know and we were intent and the reason why i say that too is that our hospital we were very intentional about that um yeah. you know like if you saw it we had a loose phone rule you know, and so if you saw a funny meme, the rule, I mean, as long as there wasn't like a hit by car or something, you had to right. go around and show everybody. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting, and I'll say this, is one of the hospitals that I used to work at, you weren't allowed to laugh because the person was, well, the owner, the people in the rooms are going to think you're laughing, Adam. Different where we were is that we would laugh, 
where we would bring that energy appropriately. Right, you know, right. Not if there, but right. bringing that energy in, you know, mm-hmm. if, you know, if the, if the, if the environment was attuned to it and people love that and they, they could feel that and they were more comfortable because what is, what does positive emotion do? It releases oxytocin. What is oxytocin? It's the right. trust hormone. What do we need right. in a clinical relationship? I need you to be able to trust that I'm going to give you the right answer and that I'm not putting you in threat mode or that I mm-hmm. recognize what's going on with you and I communicate that to you. And that is where, I mean, this is, it's, you know, it's, it's cool, the science behind it, um, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to say, this is why we, this is why we laugh at work. Right. It's all right. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Sorry. Squirreled again. No, <laughs> I love this. And this is this again, you're, we're definitely not, we're, we're doing way more episodes. This is not, yeah. <laughs> you're just trailing <laughs> them out. So <laughs> Phil, thank you so much for your time. Oh, and Jordan, your vulnerability I pre- and thank and you braveness. for all the work with Vets for Vets the VIN foundation, very grateful. And then the, the vets and recovery group is genuinely, it's, it's, a, it's a foundation of my, you know, me being able to be happy today. And I'm just very grateful that it's there. And we, we all say that, that it's our, our favorite meeting. And so I know, Aww. I know a group of, you know, 30 to 40 veterinarians who, um, you know, are intensely grateful for, for the space that, that you and your group have created for us. Well, the goal is, is really here to help. And the, you know, what we say at Vets for Vets is you are not alone. And that's really where yeah, it all begins. Yeah, 100%. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Phil, for your time and for everything that you do and for being you. a spokesperson for this courage and vulnerability so that others feel that they can be seen and heard and know that they're not alone. Thank you so yeah. much. Awesome. Thank you, Jordan. I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.